Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt. Back in the studio, baby. Jack Pietelli, how we doing? Great. He's back. All right. Look at him. Yeah. I'm smiling. You, your hair is a mess, though. I'll tell you. It's, just, <laughs> it's, yes. it's, it's a mess. Yes. You haven't gotten a cut in a while, huh? No, we're not. Get, I didn't get a cut since I got hurt. And it's so. potted right down the middle. Uh, yeah. and, and you're not wearing a hat. You're trying to show off your hair today? I'm just going dreamy 90s teen heartthrob. That's what I'm going for. So now do you qualify to go to a beauty parlor now? Are you going to go to a beauty parlor to get I, it all like this, out and everything? And, I just and, haven't cut it. I'm just not going to cut it. You're just going to let it go? The, I... I <laughs> I said I was just going to get a flow for the for when I go and show up to the first practice for the kids and just be like, what's up, guys? And just do like a little head shake and they'll be like. Actually, a producer note, Kyle, 1992 just called. They want that hair back. Yeah. Right yeah. Well, you can't have it. I'm going straight Patrick Swayze on everyone's face. So how are you feeling? How's the knee? You are, you all right? I'm walking. I'm going upstairs. Downstairs is a little sketchy, obviously, but we're. We're progressing. I, I've turned a corner now. I, was, I had a real bad time the first two months, which I can't wait to talk to our guest about today, Mike Perry. Thanks for going? having me, guys. I, I appreciate it. This is We've been chatting for about 15, 20 minutes, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Why don't you tell everyone uh, about kind of your, your background and your, your training? I have, I've been a strength coach for 20 years, and when I went to school, actually, my goal was to be a cop. And at that point, there was no jobs whatsoever, and I was an athlete. I played, played collegiate soccer at MCLA, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had a bunch of friends that were training and playing with the Revolution, and I was able to link up with them, went to a training facility, and they brought me in. I trained with them, met the owner. And he said, hey, you ever think about being a coach? And I'm like, well, yes and no. I you know, didn't go to school for this. I went to, went to school to be a cop. And he goes, why don't you do an internship and go from there? So I started. I was driving from Attleboro, Massachusetts to Wellesley, and I did that for seven years. And throughout that time, I was very, very fortunate. I had some amazing mentors along the way. A guy named BJ Baker we were talking about, he was the strength and conditioning coach for the Sox, for the Red Sox back in the day, worked with Nomar, Canseco, and then... Another one of my mentors, Tim Brewster, the guy that started uh, Train Boston Sports Center, he had passed away a few years ago, but he was the strength coach for the revolution. So I got to learn from all of these incredible coaches. And then right away, I was working with MLS guys. I was working with guys in the NFL from the Patriots, Major League Baseball. And, and I basically landed this dream scenario where I was working with pro athletes within like three years. Now, I had no business working with pro athletes at that time because I wasn't ready but I didn't screw them up, and that's kind of like the first rule when you train pro athletes is like don't hurt them. But anyways, throughout that time, I just kept on learning and, and just kept on sort of going through education, and I was fortunate enough to work for a company called Functional Movement Systems, and FMS is a, a company that was born from the works of Gray Cook and Lee Burton, who two physical therapists, and they started this screening system where you can evaluate athletes from a movement standpoint, and that was the gold standard. It's used in the, the NFL, NBA, you name it. So that's something that they use at the Combine, and I've been fortunate to teach for them. So I've been a, a lead instructor with them for the last eight years where I get to travel all over the U.S. and educate and, and teach coaches. In addition to that, I work for another company as an, a lecturer, and there's a guy named Pavel Satsulin. He's a, the, the crazy Russian kettlebell guy, right? So this guy popularized kettlebell training, and I got into that very, very early. And I'm fortunate enough to teach and lecture for him as well. So I get to go over all over the U.S., teach, lecture, and do that. So I got affiliated with those two companies pretty early, and then I decided, hey, it's time to it's time to start my own. So my wife is from Westford, and we decided, hey, we want to start a family. We're going to start a gym out in uh, Chelmsford called Skill of Strength, and we've been there for 13 years, and it's been a crazy ride. It's 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 been 
a, a large amount of learning throughout that process, starting a business from scratch. And uh, yeah, so now 20 years in, I'm at the point where I can do a little bit more fun stuff, get to hang out with guys like you. And, and now my main focus is lacrosse. I am absolutely bought in with lacrosse. And even my, my buddies are like, you, you good, man. You're like, you're, you're getting a little into this. I'm like, I'm, I'm perfectly good. Like I'm, I'm fired up. So long story short, this is 20 years in the making. And now I'm, I'm really excited to do whatever I can to help the the lacrosse community through my, my goals and through my skills rather. Is there a difference in training professional athletes versus like a collegiate in high school? hundred percent. So professional athletes are there for a reason. They are the top one to 2%. They are the outliers. So you don't need to make, generally speaking, large, large changes with really good athletes. Like, what are you going to go to like uh, Usain Bolt or LeBron James and go, I can make you better. You're probably not going to make them better, right? So a big part of training professional athletes is keeping them healthy for as long as possible, as long as possible, because that will allow them to make as much money as possible. And that's what it's all about. So professional athletes, the, the real key is keeping them healthy and keeping them on the field and not in the training room. Now, when you're looking at younger athletes, high school, collegiate, um, they usually have a little bit more physical needs. Maybe guys need to lift a little bit more, spend a little bit more time in the weight room. Maybe they need to just develop because some kids grow a lot later. So it really depends on the individual. But I would say from a high school standpoint, just learning how to lift, doing the basic strength training stuff very, very well consistently over time is going to be your best friend. Same thing with college and then eventually with pros. But I think the hard part is is strength and conditioning is very underrepresented in, in the lacrosse world. It's usually a guy or a dad, nothing wrong with that if you're volunteering your time, of course, or it's the football coach in college that's like, hey, I can, I can train lacrosse players, so what do they do? The lacrosse team gets the same program is a football team and they're not the same sport. And that's, that's the issue that I sort of have with how strength and conditioning has uh, traditionally been done because lacrosse players deserve better. Like I've, I've seen what happens out there in the world of strength and conditioning for lacrosse and I'm not impressed whatsoever. Wow. And so the formula to train a lacrosse player versus a soccer, football, hockey is different. Same, but different. Yeah. So I would say that, so for example, from a cardiovascular standpoint, right, the running middies and, and lacrosse have a lot more running. So they're going to have to train a little bit more different styles of conditioning. And we can definitely get into that, but they're going to need a lot of that sort of burst where they're going to have to get in a corner and get in a hard battle for five, eight seconds and then sprint 40 yards and repeat. So those guys have different needs than attackmen who are generally going to cover a little bit less more, a little bit less ground and same thing with defensemen. So and a lot more stops and starts with attackmen and things like that, training, oh, so working on the uh, the groins, the hamstrings, the whole nine yards. 100%. So, look, mobile is mobile, strong is strong, fast is fast. And and hopefully the goal of a strength and conditioning coach is to keep those athletes healthy, develop those skills so they can showcase their lacrosse skills on the field. So strength and conditioning should be a supplementation to making a better lacrosse player. That's what it should do. And if it's not, then why are you doing it? Yeah, I think one of the things that young players especially, when you first start telling freshmen, sophomores, eighth graders, hey, you probably need to get in the weight room eventually if you want to play. Like, I've had that conversation every season I've coached younger kids. I'm just like, if you really want to play, like, it's it's great that you're fast. It's great that you love the game. It's great that you're on the wall. I love that. You're getting knocked down every time you go for a ground ball. And I think that kind of realization and putting that back into the game because i think lacrosse for a lot of people isn't their only sport and if that's true that you don't see a lot of 
a ton of basketball players doing a ton of lifting, right? So I think that if you're getting kids from that, soccer players don't do a ton of lifting compared to football especially. I think that's kind of the, the gold standards of lifting sports if we're going into that, right? Mm-hmm. That conversation is something that I think comes as a shock to a lot of younger kids. Do you, do you find that in your kind of setup or no? Um, yes, it, because I think people assume that at a certain point, in order to get better at lacrosse, they need to do more lacrosse. And for some kids, that is 100% the answer. Mm-hmm. For some kids, they get enough lacrosse. Maybe they need more sleep or maybe they need to learn how to lift weights, right? So yep. I think it really depends on the coach and the parents and being able to look at a kid and go, like, what, what are you good at? What buckets are filled and what buckets are not filled? And a really good coach will be like, look, like your lateral movement's terrible, but your top speed is great. So look, if your top speed is great, let's preserve the top speed, but let's get you better at lateral movement. So it's all about filling buckets. And every time I work with an athlete or even and or a team, I look at where are my opportunities to make the greatest impact and what bucket is potentially not getting filled. And sometimes it's not even something that I do. Sometimes it's they're eating McDonald's every time before a game and they feel like absolute crap. So maybe it's not a a strength training issue. Maybe it's not a lacrosse issue. Maybe it's a McDonald's issue or a Wendy's issue. And every single time you're running around on the field, you feel like you're going to be sick. So I think what we have to do is look at the entire kid and start to look at what where is our opportunity to make the biggest impact. And I think that's how we have to look at making a change in, in strength and conditioning, but it's not just about the strength and conditioning. It's about the entire sort of system that the, the athletes are surrounding themselves with. What is the one exercise that everyone will make everyone better? Cause I, I feel like everyone's going to say, you're going to, if you say squats, I understand, but if it's not squats, I want to know what it is. I would say a single leg squat or a single leg deadlift variation. I think a lot of athletes spend too much time doing bilateral exercises like a, like a squat or a deadlift. And there's nothing wrong with those. They're very, very good exercises. But if you look at the sport, any sport, mm-hmm. running is a one-legged sport. When you're running, one foot hits the ground at a time. I know. I can't run right now. So I'm, I'm <laughs> you, can run, you can hop, though. You can I, hop on one I foot. I can. But what my point is is that when we run, it's this reciprocal movement. So it's left, right, left, right, left, right. So if you aren't competent and stable on one leg, I don't care how much you can deadlift or squat because it doesn't make a difference for me. You're, you're pro deadlift. I love deadlifts. Really? Yeah. You're the first trainer I've met in like 10 years that like that is okay with deadlifts. Why? Why wouldn't we be? Well, all the evidence suggests that it's a strength exercise that doesn't actually improve everything else. So oh, we can, we can get into the sort of the, no, just, the research world. So here's the way that I look at it. So deadlifting, having the ability to lift a heavy object off the ground safely is a good skill to have in life, but also the ability to sit and load with your hips is an expression of athletic based movement. If you look at a broad jump or a vertical jump, when they go and they load to jump, like in the combine, they go right into a hip hinge, and that is the bottom of the deadlift position. Right. That is the identical position. So the question is, is should we be deadlifting heavy? heavy. That, I think so, that's probably what I was going okay, for. Yes. So okay, so context is everything. Fair. So for me to say, like, deadlifts are good or bad, I, that's like me saying you should eat food. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just food. Yeah. The specificity is king. So yeah. now, McDonald's or? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, Italian but perfect pasta. example, I have, I have some athletes I don't deadlift. Because it doesn't feel good and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. So guess what? I don't use it. I don't get paid by what exercise I choose yeah. and put in their program. You don't get paid by max rep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I actually yeah. think to, 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 to for that point, I think one RM testing for like field and court athletes is the dumbest thing on the planet. Yeah. I Quick, quick story. After college, I, I got into lifting really heavy because I was coaching in college and I was coaching all these athletes and I was like, oh, I can lift like you. I'm going to, I went hero ball, right? Yep. In the weight room. 
And my goal one off season was I'm going to bench 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm 5'7". Mm-hmm. At the time, I was probably 180. I ate so much garbage to get the calories. And I finally did it after about three months of training. Mm-hmm. My max before that was about 260. Mm-hmm. I get up. I, I lifted 305. In a Planet Fitness of all places, best place. Did and you set I, off the lunk alarm? No, oh, I, I did it. Not not that time. I have before. Trust me, I, I did it, and I remember feeling so empty <laughs> and terrible that like it was my goal. I was like, "This is my goal. This is my goal. I want this. I'm gonna do this." Everyone said I couldn't do it. I'm gonna do it. I did it, and I went. Oh, I'm fat now. <laughs> yeah. This is the worst. Yeah, I feel terrible, but I did it right. And I think that's kind of like one of those things where. The, the the competitiveness of the weight room, mm-hmm. you think it's the same as the field. It's not. Because in the weight room, it's just you. Mm-hmm. And if you can beat that, you have, you, there were so many sacrifices that I had to make personally that I shouldn't have made. And it actually made me very unhealthy. And I was, I was very upset afterwards because I was like, I wanted this thing so bad. And I, I was like, gross. It just felt gross. So I think a, a couple of the issues that we have in the world of strength and conditioning is is ego lifting, like you said. But yes. I think a big part of it is ego of the strength coaches. My yes. athletes can do this. Right. My athletes can right. do this. Saying that your athlete can deadlift 600 pounds is, is way cooler than saying my athlete played a decent career for 10 years. Like, yeah. you see what I'm saying? So, yep. so I, I think it's, it's a big ego thing. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because if you can show me concrete data that, you know, triple body weight deadlifting or doing a power clean that's double body weight is going to make a lacrosse player exponentially better. I'm all in. But until that happens, it will never happen, but right. because no one's going to fund that study, but until that happens, it's about the it's about decision making and making sure that you're not doing dumb things because I think the most important component when it comes to exercise selection is don't do dumb things. Like don't if yep. if you're looking at it and going, should I do that? The answer is no. Yeah. Like why? What's the point? If you hurt your shoulder on that last rep, yep. then your your one 10 second decision is going to impact the next six months of your life because you're being a moron. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I'm a high school athlete and I'm um, looking to get faster, maybe a little bit stronger. I come to you. Do we sit down? Do we have an evaluation? Every athlete that comes to you is different, obviously. So how do you know what to start with, what you're going to plan to work with them? to make them faster, stronger, bigger, whatever they desire, or you evaluate them and tell, tell them yeah. you need to get faster, you need to get stronger. These are the things you need to work on to be performing at a high level on the field. Well, so I think a lot of the times people come in and they always say stuff like that. I need to get faster. I need to do this. I need, and I always say compared to what? Right. And it's usually like a, a guy that comes in with his 10-year-old son. He's like, my kid needs to get faster, but he's comparing his kid to the 12-year-old kid that's like already got a beard. Right. And he's like, my kid needs to get faster. But it's like it's it's that's really not the, the, the situation that you're looking for. But in general, yes, when we come in, we have a, a brand new client. We sit down and the first thing we do is have a conversation. with them. That's it. We don't we don't talk about really training yet, but we just want to know where they're at, what their goals are. We want to get to know them because, look, th- yes, they're a potential customer for us. But if we don't have a good rapport and we don't click, I don't want to spend the next four months training someone that I don't like. So. The initial consultation is almost like a fact-finding mission to make sure that it's a good match and that it's a good fit. But generally speaking, we look at their schedule. We look at their weekly schedule. We look at sort of everything that they do outside of the gym because every decision that you make from an athletic standpoint is going to impact how you 
function and, sure. and, and the adaptations that you're looking to get. So we look at everything and then we start with the basic movement evaluation. We look at how well they move, how their hips, their ankles, all that stuff. We kind of break them down in a, a somewhat orthopedic sense. We're not clinicians, but we want to see what they're capable of from a movement standpoint. And then Depending on the athlete, we will get into performance testing where we'll look at their 10-yard acceleration, we'll look at their 15-yard acceleration, their vertical leap, stuff like that. But again, I, I use performance testing for younger kids as just metrics and data to look at improvements. I'm not looking at it to, to break world records. I'm just looking at, hey, look, you, you were running a 1.6 on your, on your 10. Now you're running a 1.5. That's, that's fantastic. So we start off and we try to get as much metrics and data as possible and we track everything because if you can't track it, Right. How do you measure, how do you know if you're making making an appreciable change? Now, do you have a different philosophy for men and women, the way uh, that they're trained, or very similar? So again, so I actually think the the big thing is I think women need to spend more time strength training in general. I think there's a lot of females that feel like they're going to get big and bulky if they lift, and that is the the only way a female is going to get big and bulky if she lifts is if she's literally doing anabolics and eating nonstop. Yeah. But you're not going to get a 13, 14 year old girl looking like a dude from lifting weights for six months. It's just not going to happen. So I think females, I think the, the most beneficial thing you can do for females is strength training, 100%. Strength training, strength training. I think for males, I think a lot of the guys, they do need the strength training, but a lot of the times they skip their warm-ups and their mobility work, and they just want to bench, yeah. and they just want to do arms, right? Yep. So I think yep. the, big, the big key here is, again, we look at what buckets are filled, right? Yep. My goal is to fill buckets, not have you do more arms. And there's nothing wrong with doing arms if you want to do your arms at the end of a session. Have fun with it. But my point is, is that if you're hiring me, my goal is to make you better. And I'm not sure supersetting biceps and triceps is going to make the most appreciable change in your career from a sports standpoint. Yeah. So people have been listening to the podcast know that I I tore my ACL this summer and I've, I've been in rehab and for PT, I go to PT basically every day. I like, I get to just get to work out at the PT facility, right? Mm hmm. And one of the things that they all think is funny is that I groan and grunt through everything. And I'm just like, well, I don't know how to do it any other way. Like they're training elder, mostly elderly patients or like high school kids that like aren't pushing that yet. Mm-hmm. So I, I make a face, I grunt, but I do it, right? And, I, and they all think I'm kind of mad at them when <laughs> I do it, right? Like it, it, it's like a personal, not attack, but like a, I'll, I'll, I'll unintentionally I, I, the face doesn't lie. I can't lie with this yeah. face. It, I, everything comes out, right? Like I'm not holding back anything. You know that. You've been in the studio with me for over, what, two years now? Yeah. I, if I don't like something, you pretty much know, right? <laughs> and, and I'll make a face or whatever. Do you – I'm asking you because I'm asking basically to, <laughs> to confirm my, my trainer's emotions. <laughs> Is that all right? Because well, I, I think I, I think I, I feel like I'm hurting her feelings all the time. Well, honestly, you can't control if someone gets offended or not. But I, I think that just just do your thing. Yeah, who cares if you're getting. Yeah, get through like, it. Right? I mean, if you're yeah, screaming, it's like, and it's no, like, not, just, it, it's like, like anything. It's getting weird. It, it's like, like anything. Like when when someone passes away and people respond like, "Oh, they didn't react the way they should have." Be when that person died, everybody right. reacts differently. Yeah. So in that situation, I don't know how I'm going to react. Right. I might I might be yelling and screaming and biting my tongue and yeah. going crazy. You just don't know. I've never been in that situation. Right. So that's the way you get better and, and recover. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the real reasons I want to have you on here. So, <laughs> so cause I, I has nothing to do. I, with I've never with been, no, it's great. I, what you do, I mean, several people, we have, we have several people in common, both Jack and I that, that already train with you or know you. One of the things that I've never been hurt this bad, right? Uh, I've been hurt multiple times, probably like 50 times, never had to get surgery, 
but I've always did PT and, and come back from so much stuff. This is the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me physically, mm-hmm. right? And it carried over into my mental state very heavily. Do you encounter that in what you do with your training? Do you train guys after injuries? Do you have to account for that? What's your process for that? Because I'm super interested in that. Yeah, it's funny. I've probably done about 50 to 70 return to play ACLs in, yeah. in my in my lifetime. And there is the, let's just say there's sort of three components of the ACL rehab, right? There is, there's the hardware issue, which is the joints. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the tendons and the connective, but there's a software issue, right? Because your brain sort of runs the motor pattern, but then there's the psychological part, right? Yep. The psyche. And, and I find that the last thing to come back is, is the psyche is, mm-hmm. is does the athlete feel confident enough that they can play their sport and not think about their knee? Yeah. That is when, you know, an athlete is ready because they'll tell you, right? A lot of kids, am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready? And I want to get to the fa- get to the point where like they, they feel like they're ready and they'll make that decision because when they make that when they make that decision, there's a mental switch that happens. They're going, right. I'm good, like I'm healthy, I'm not broken anymore. And I think a, a big part of ACL rehab, especially when you're dealing with young females, that's just young females are the ones that more, tend suscept- to, more susceptible, more, more susceptible, yeah. absolutely. And I think the the most important thing is just encouragement and just consistency and, and letting them know that we have a plan for them and we're going to get them there. I think that is quite often more important than the the physical part. Yes, the exercise and the way that we do things are important. But look, like you said, it's a big it's a big injury, right? So yeah. it happened to you a little bit older in life. But think about that 13, 14 year old girl that just blew her knee out and had dreams of whatever. I'm right. not saying that the dreams are over. But my point is, is it's huge. It's yeah. big because a lot of people identify themselves by their ability to do physical things. And like you played sports your entire life and you couldn't, that was taken away and that sucks. So for a lot of people, they'll probably say, oh, it's just your knee. But it's like, well, no, no, it's not just your knee. It's it's like, this is what I do. Like, it's almost like an identity thing. It's really, really weird, but I've noticed it's it's huge. The psychological aspect is absolutely huge when it comes to that. Any big injury. Right. Now you've trained so many different athletes, soccer, football, Mm -hmm. hockey. What made you make the decision all across now? Well, so we, we were talking about this earlier. So I've trained professional athletes my entire life. I've been very, very fortunate in the last 10 years, uh, 12 years, I've been working with guys in the UFC. And I was, I've been going, I'd be going to the fights, I'd be going to casinos, I'd be spending late nights in the city. And that worked for a while. And I was starting to get bored of it. And then three years ago, when I was 40, wasn't feeling so hot. And I went to the doctors and ended up, long story short, getting diagnosed with stage three colon cancer when I was 40 years old. And at that time, it was pretty scary because I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen right away. They, they had a colonoscopy. They were like, this is not good. Like we need to get you, we need to get you surgery, chemo. So during that time I had my, my surgery first and then I waited a month and then I did six months of chemotherapy and that was lacrosse season for my son. And he was just, he was having a tough time. Obviously your dad has cancer. That's, that's kind of tough. And he was having a tough time, but he just kept on playing lacrosse. And that was like the one point where he didn't think about his dad being sick. So for me, I was like, I gotta, he loves this game. I gotta, I gotta get more involved somehow. And then throughout the few years, I'm very fortunate. I'm cancer free now, but I just decided, look, I want to spend time with my kids and do something that I enjoy and I had a big wake up call and I was having a lot of fun training pro athletes, but now it's like, I just want to, I want to spend time with my family. I want to help a bunch of kids. And that's, that's why I'm, I fall in love with the cross. I just, it's, it's something that when I was sick, my kid loved it and that made him happy. And for me, that's all I need. So I'm, I am, I'm all in on, on the sport. And if I can help someone, that's what I want to do. 
Good for you. That's great. Was that your first colonoscopy? Yeah. It was. Yeah, my first one, and I had some stomach stuff, and they woke me up, and this was during COVID. So you're not supposed to have anybody in the hospital during COVID. Right. And I woke up, and my wife was there, and I was like, in and out. I was like, this isn't good. And then, then they told me, and that was it. So it was, What yeah. prompted you to get a colonoscopy? Because I, I, the message out there, obviously, is for the men out there, I've had a couple of them. you got to go out and get, get one. I was having some stomach issues, but I'm going to be honest, I was ignoring them. Right. I was just ignoring him and being an idiot, and it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. And then I called my doctor, and I was telling him I was having some other issues. He's like, hey, let's go check this out. And sure enough, boom. I was like, sure. It was pretty brutal. So, I mean, honestly, like, I, I think the most important thing is they actually changed the age from 50 to 45 for, from, a, from a colonoscopy screening. But I think the most important thing is, like, if you have any changes in your body, you notice something's off, go see a doctor, right? Do what you got to do. Also, check into your family history. Yeah. My, my family didn't really talk much. Come to find out. I had four of my relatives that had it. No one ever knew. Wow. So if I knew that, yeah. like maybe I could have gotten screened 10 years ago. So yeah. like for me now with my, my two sons, yeah. I'm going to make sure that Absolutely. even my doctors are like, they, those guys need to, they yeah. need to get screened like in their late twenties because you never know because it's, unfortunately it's a nasty disease and it's impacting more and more young people. So, I mean, you got You got to get those routine tests. Don't skip it. That's just moronic. Yeah. I, I think also one of the things that, you're you're telling this story, and you couldn't be in a better place with two people that are dedicated their lives to lacrosse. And for for me to like know that there's someone on the the training side that actually cares about lacrosse in that way that isn't working for a school or uh, a pro team or something like that. Like you chose and you and you could have done all these other avenues, and you chose lacrosse. Mm -hmm. It's almost like lacrosse chooses you. So, like, I feel like you're in a pretty exclusive club of people, not just Jack and I, but, like, so many people that are in lacrosse that are lifelong lacrosse people. You don't choose it. It chooses you. Do you feel that way? Uh, yeah, I think it really fell into my lap, and it and, it, and it's, it's going to sound very, very silly, but just from the people that I've met and the process in which things happened, from the guys that I trained to the coaches that I've met, it just... It's like, wow, I'm, I'm running into all these people. And some of them are just old friends that I haven't seen in years. Mm -hmm. And then just reconnecting. But yeah, I just, like I said, is with everything that's happened. And, and now my business is, we've been around for 13 years and we've got a pretty solid business. So now my afternoons are, are wide open. So whether I'm just going in the backyard and thinking of drills or training my son or taking some guys out to the field. like So my goal is I want my afternoons and evenings to be lacrosse until... It can't be lacrosse anymore, and, and that's that's what I want to do. So I just I volunteer in town. I I just it's just a lot of fun for me, and that's at the end of the day, it's what I want to do. I want to help a lot of people, and, and I love the sport. I'm new to the sport, but I'm not new to coaching. It's really amazing. Like when I I was in high school, graduated in '82, college '86. Training wasn't in the, the programs. It was you went to practice. Some guys lifted weights. I never lifted weights. I did push ups, sit ups. I had, a, I had a guy come up to me when I was early in my playing career and said, the key to a good lacrosse player is you've got to have strong wrists and forearms, mm -hmm. right? And so he said, you should, I said, well, how do I build my wrists and forearms? He said, put sand in your shaft and play wall oh, ball. Yeah. yeah. So I used to play wall ball with sand in my shaft. Yeah. And so where, where I gained a lot of strength was picking up ground balls. And playing hockey helped too. But you, when you train these lacrosse players – do you keep those skill sets in mind, like parts of the body that need to be stronger than others to yeah. be successful on the field? 
everything that I do has intent and has a system to it. From the second we warm up to the second we finish the session, everything has a place. So, for example, grip strength. Um, yeah, I, I program a lot of grip work. One of my favorite exercises uh, – for, for lacrosse players and in general is you guys are familiar with kettlebells, right? Sure. So if you just hold a kettlebell upside down, bottoms up, you just hold it and walk. It's called the bottoms up carry. You just walk. So all you got to do is walk. Don't drop it. Walk for 20 seconds on one side, 20 seconds on the other side, four or five sets, you're good to go. We've seen guys do that with a 80-pound kettlebell. You want to talk about wrist and grip strength, yeah. balancing that kettlebell, bottoms up. And if it falls, you just let it go. So my point is that's a simple exercise, boom, right away, that you can make an immediate impact on your wrist and grip strength for lacrosse. Right away, that's yeah. one of the best things. I, can I tell you? So the sand story, we did that in high school. But we had a kid. It didn't do much for no, you. No, it did great. <laughs> it did, <laughs> so it did great things. No, I, this, this story is hilarious. So we had Even a kid, the producer's laughing. We had a kid, we had a kid who, who couldn't find sand. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I'm, I'm dead serious. In New Hampshire? In New Hampshire, he couldn't find sand. <laughs> Guess what he put in his shaft instead? Rocks. No. Infill from the M turf. M&M's. What's the worst thing that Ch interacts chocolate. with water that you could put in a shaft? Salt? Kitty litter. Oh, my God. He put kitty litter in his shaft, and the fr we didn't know because we can't <laughs> see it. Yeah. So we're playing oh my God. a game in the rain, and his stick basically explodes. And there's kitty litter everywhere. And he's, it's like, we're like, what is what is this? What's all over the, what's happening? He's like, oh, yeah, I couldn't find sand, so I put kitty litter in my shot. He's a long pole. So it's like double the amount. It was everywhere. a couple of bags of kitty litter. Yes. Yeah. It was. Oh, God. That's hilarious. Funny. That is hilarious. Big Doug. Long stick Doug, we call him. So Doug. I just wonder how he had access to more kitty litter than sand. I, I mean, he must have a pet. Listen, I grew up in a really small town. Okay, fair enough. I, okay, I, fair I just got to tell you. Okay. So. Just want to put that we talked a little bit before we went on air here, and uh, you had mentioned that you do train different positions differently in mm -hmm. lacrosse. Mm -hmm. Men and women, midfield attack, goalies, D. Yeah, so and I'll be brutally honest. I, I haven't had the opportunity to work with a lot of female lacrosse players yet, and that's something that within our town um, I want to start helping out with, more so on the strength and conditioning side because, again, I'm not a lacrosse coach, right? I am a... Uh, I'm a strength and conditioning coach that knows a little bit about lacrosse. So I know my lane. My goal is to eventually learn more about lacrosse, right? But for now, I'm, I'm staying in my lane. I tend to, to tend, mainly I train boys, middle school, high school, and, and obviously a couple pros here and there. So I can't really speak to uh, specificity of training. But again, when it comes to females, it's, it's really, I would say the, the strength training is probably the most important thing. And especially when it comes to change of direction, when females start lifting consistently, it's like a night and day change. It, it, it's unbelievable. But yes, I would say certain positions though, from a, let's say from a conditioning standpoint and a movement standpoint do have certain needs. Like we were talking about, I would say attack men, there's a lot of cutting, a lot of change of direction, a lot of spinning, a lot of rolling. They do that in very, very tight quarters. So depending on how much they're training in general, you can try to put them in scenarios where they can get better at that and more efficient. Middies are going to be doing a lot more running, so they need to be able to do those five to eight second bursts and then go on a 40-yard sprint and repeat that. And defensemen, obviously, they run as well. They're going to do a little bit more side-to-side -side movement. A lot of it is going to be finding that base, getting their footwork and, and tracking and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, being super strong and having a gas tank for days and being able to play physical is probably one of the best things that you can do to play lacrosse is the physicality part of it. I love that part of it. What, what is your take on all of the injuries that are happening a lot more that people are saying it's because of turf. So there's, there's a bunch of studies out there. There are some studies that say more injuries are happening on turf. There are other ones saying it's not, it's happening on grass. I, I don't think at the end of the day, I don't think that's the problem. 
I think that the training is the problem and the lack of sleep and the the lack of variety in, in someone's training, right? I'm not saying that, like a lot of people will say it's the early specialization, like kids shouldn't only play one sport. Well, guess what? A lot of kids at a certain point are going to play one sport and that is okay. But early on, early, early on, you should be playing multiple sports. Do all the backyard stuff, like yeah. play as, as many sports as you can. And eventually, if you want to play lacrosse, focus on lacrosse. But at the end of the day, you can't just do lacrosse 24-7. You need to do lacrosse. You need to do your speed work. You need to do your lifting if you need any conditioning, if you have to do your recovery stuff. But I would say that it's a lack of variety, but I actually think it's over-scheduling and undersleep. I think kids these days are – they're going from hockey to lacrosse to a private lesson in one night. And they're getting to bed at 11 o'clock, and then they're wondering why they feel like rubbish the next day. Teenagers and, and young kids need nine hours plus of sleep. That's that's what the research says and the science says. They need nine plus hours of sleep. The average teenager gets seven, seven and a half. So you can blame it on specialization. You can blame it on this and that. But when I see kids going from practice to practice to practice, and all they're doing is eating McDonald's and going to bed at midnight, I just feel like the issue's not... Well, I mean, the the remedy is is maybe looking a little bit deeper because I think kids are overscheduled. I think it's far. I think it's way too much, and I think that's one of the reasons why people get hurt because they're just always chronically tired. How many high school kids do you see full of energy unless they drank like four Red Bulls? Yeah, but they're always tired, right? They're always just like. So my point is because they're not sleeping. They're just not sleeping. Spending yeah. too much time on the phone. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, the phone, the Xbox, the iPad, and sure, all of it. It's tough. I, I, that's one of the things that I, I talk to my kids about all the time. And I think we're one of the only coaches at our school that like really emphasize what you eat mm-hmm. and eating good food before games. Like, and it, it was funny because like the head coach started doing it and I'm like, why are you, they're not going to listen. But he did it every, I noticed he did it after every practice. And I was like, do you do that on purpose? One day I just asked him and he's like, yeah, do you know what they're eating? Yeah. He's like, do you have any, and he's, he's a, a farmer, he's an agricultural guy. And he's like, do you have any idea what these kids are eating? Yeah. And I was like, well, if it's like me in high school, yeah, I probably know it's probably not good. It's <laughs> no, probably exactly. like a lot of midnight talks at Taco Bell, you yeah. know what I mean? But he, he, he was like, like, they just have to get more nutrients. They're not getting any nutrients in any food that they're buying at the supermarket. They have to buy like whole foods and eat that. Is, is that something that, that you think is a, a huge problem? Well, I think kids are getting calories, but they're not getting nutrients. Right. And I think that's the big thing, right? They eat a bunch of food that's a bunch of processed stuff, and they're not getting the vitamins and minerals and all that stuff. Now, look, I'm not saying you have to, like, eat a salad every meal and, and shove veggies down your mouth, like, because kids won't do that. But I think it starts with small habits, right? And I think as, as parents, if we can model it a little bit better, right, mm-hmm. and just having a little bit of fruit and veggies in our, in our, our, our sort of nightly dinner or whatever, just making a big, big change rarely works. But slow habits over time, I think, is a, a really nice way to do it. But I, I think one of the things that I've done, and, and I've done this with a couple kids in town and also with my son, is just saying, hey, this week before your practices, try to eat this. And let me know how you feel. And then the next week, don't eat that. Let me know how you feel. And 99% of the time, like, I felt so much better. And so, but, but, but here's the thing, because you mentioned nutrients and, and, and fueling, a lot of these kids assume that they're out of shape, but maybe they're just not eating enough to begin with or eating the right stuff. So when it comes to fuel, it's like, Hey, if I got to drive back home and it's an hour away, but I only got a little bit of gas left, I'm just not going to get there. Yeah. So I, I think a big part of it is the underfueling. Parents. So I used to do training, private lessons, small group training, catching, throwing all the whole nine yards back in the day. And I loved it when the kids came that wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. And you run into that where the parents want their kids training more so than the kid wants to train. 
Yeah. And, and that is as a coach in my mind, that is one of the hardest things because so I coach middle school age athletes and, and in town, we've got a bunch of kids and, and probably like seven or eight are club guys and they can, they can play lacrosse. And then a lot of the other kids are like, this was the only other sport that was available. And it's really hard to put, you know, a kid that's been playing club for a couple of years with a brand new kid in town. It's just, it, that doesn't know what they're doing. So I, I think a lot of the times it's, it's just really tough because, you know, as a parent, you want your kid to be active, right? So you want yeah. them to try new things. But if they feel forced or they feel like you need to do this, like, do you think the kid's going to like it? So I, I think really the, the the key here is it just needs to be fun for the kids and it needs to be an environment where they can feel like themselves. I think that's the most important thing, even if the parents initially send them, because as a coach, maybe the kid comes in not wanting to go. But as a if, a, if you're a good coach and you care that kid's going to be your buddy for life. So it's an opportunity as well to help. What age? Is there a specific age where girls and boys should start training? Is it sixth grade, seventh grade? Everybody I talk to has a different answer. So I I guess it depends on what it is. Yeah. So I think a big part of it has to do with maturation and growth spurts. There's this sort of term called peak height velocity. That's basically the growth spurts. And it's a time in which athletes grow at a rapid rate. That is basically the fastest point in which their development in which they grow. I would say middle school is probably the best, but we can't use a chronological age. We need to think about using a developmental age because we know sixth graders that are way more mature physically and way more mature mentally than eighth graders that aren't. So middle school is tough because puberty is a great equalizer. Sure. So that's the difference. So I think a big part of it is can they pay attention? Can they take instruction? Or are they like some of the kids that practice when the coach isn't looking, they're smacking them in the back of the head with their with their lacrosse yeah. stick? So I think the determining factor is can they pay attention? Gotcha. And if they can't, it is what it is, but it's going to look very different depending on the kid too. Focus, focus. Yeah. If you don't want to, I mean, I, and I hate to say it now with the stuff that I do, I just, I donate my time. But if I volunteer my time, I don't have expectations on performance when it comes to town. I just have expectations on hopefully they want to come back next week. Right. Now, when I'm working with elite or high level athletes that have dreams and aspirations of a scholarship or playing at the highest level, we got work to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I say this, it's funny you talk about like the, the kind of the growth spurt rate, right? Like I've been five, seven since fifth grade. I can't change that. There's nothing I can do about that, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that's kind of one of the challenges that I have a lot of athletes on my team that are, we, we had a kid who was 6'8", but he played JV. Yeah. And he's like, why am I playing JV? I'm like, you can't catch the ball. Like, you can't, well, you can't catch the ball. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you're, and he was a freak. And then he figured out how to catch the ball and pick up the ball. And we played him in a JV game. And he had like eight goals. Oh, it's, it's like this. It's like... It's so funny because I, I always say, and I talk to parents and I explain to them that like lacrosse is not like soccer where you can just kick the ball and they just follow it, right? Mm-hmm. There is a fundamental component of catching and throwing that if you do not learn how to do that and do it on your own, you're not going to get little, you're not going to get very good at lacrosse at an early age. Maybe you will when you get a little bit later, but there's this, it's a little bit more skill oriented early on. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the, the the hard part for people to understand. And I think as coaches in, in, in town, I always have conversations with people. It's like, look, I will coach your kid. I will help them. I will create a positive environment. But at the end of the day, if they can't catch and throw and pass, I, I can't do much. That's like saying I want to play hockey, but I'm afraid to put skates on. But that's what Jack does. Jack Jack Jack's whole business is teaching kids that aspect and field awareness and playing in a team and all that stuff. So Really, high-level athletes, if you're doing just one thing, you might get there. 
mm-hmm. but you have a better chance of getting there with with training and club and a good high school coach. Like I feel like everybody is like, oh, I have to get to an SCAC. I have to get to an Ivy League. I have to get a D1 offer. We were talking about kids that got D1 offers this week. Like we were talking about it. And it's like, is that the goal? You paid all this money and you're just going to go here because it's the first place that liked you. But I, I know it's not kind of your wheelhouse, right? But it's part of it, right? Because we're, we're teaching these kids <laughs> lessons, hopefully. You're, you're teaching them how to take care of their body. You're teaching them to play in a team. Those are things they need the rest of their life. Yeah, absolutely. Life skill, 100%. Yeah, no, I, I think that I agree with both because I think there's obviously there's the self-responsibility and the team aspect. You need to do both. Like if you're going to be a good athlete, you need to be a good team player, but you need to be able to say, I, I got to do the work on my own. And if you don't want to do the work on your own, then well, you're probably not going to make it. And if you do, you may not last. Right. Kyle and I talk to a lot of coaches, right, on the podcast and in real life. One of the things that I've come away with talking to the coaches is nothing prepares the high school athlete, female, male, for their fall freshman semester in college in terms of the discipline, the training, the commitment to the team, practices, and then the schoolwork. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're training you're training the players not only to train, but you're also teaching them what's ahead for them. Yeah. So I, I think a big part of it is if you are an athlete looking to play at the collegiate level, and that's something that's on your radar. And let's be honest, there's a lot of kids that are freshmen that that's on the radar, right? They're, that's something that they want to do. Um, I think it's important to have someone that can be honest about their path and what it's really going to take and also the expectations every step of the way. So one of the things that I see all the time, and this happens a lot in the world of lacrosse, is a kid gets recruited. And he's a good club player and he's got a lot of connections. He's never been in the weight room. They hand him a packet when he gets accepted and it's the football packet, right? Mm-hmm. So I get a panic call from the dad going, Bobby needs to hang clean next week and he needs to get tested in his one RM hang clean. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is the dumbest thing on the planet. So what I, you know what I normally do, honestly, I usually reach out to the coach and I go, Hey coach, usually we know someone that knows someone. It's very, very much like the lacrosse world. I go, do you care about the lifts or do you care that this athlete is ready? Because right. if you care that this athlete is ready, they're with me. They're going to be ready. Right. But if you care that they can hang clean 275 and that's all you care about, then cool. We can help them. But I actually don't maybe think that that's the best direction anyways. But I always reach out to the coach and say, do you care? Because usually you know what they do. This is what strength coaches do. They hand out the packets and forget about it and say, see you in the fall. They usually don't care. So I reach out and say, if you just want them ready, and I know that there are specific things they're looking for, like if I know they're going to do a a yo-yo beep test, which is an anaerobic conditioning test, or they're going to do a, or they're going to do a Cooper test, a two mile, or they're going to do the 40, right? So I need to know the specific tests in which that they're going to prepare for, because yes, we have to practice for the test, but at the end of the day, they still need to be good at the sport. I think one of my, my last question, because we're, we're, I mean, obviously we're running late on time because this is very natural. It's a good conversation. Supplements. Mm -hmm. Should athletes take them? If so, which ones? And what is your stance on mm, supplementation is exactly what it sounds like. It should supplement an already healthy diet. And if you need a supplement to fill in gaps, because maybe there's deficits, maybe you have low magnesium or, mm-hmm. or iron or vitamin B or D, then, then a supplement is the right thing to do. But I think just buying a whole bunch of supplements in the hopes yeah. that it's going to change your life is, is a fantastic way to, to throw some money down the drain. Now, with that being said, mm-hmm. there are a, a handful of, of supplements that seem to 
over time be a really, really solid choice for athletes. And one is creatine monohydrate. It's one of the most researched sort of supplement in the world. And, and not only is there the physical component, but there's actually some research on help with cognitive development and too with creatine. And then I, I think a lot of the other stuff is just uh, filling gaps. Like some people will have a little bit of magnesium or zinc before they go to sleep. It helps them. It helps them sleep. So I, I think eating a higher protein diet is very, very important from, from different sort of sources, whether you're getting it from chicken, from fish, from steak or whatever. But I think a variety is good. But I think supplements are, are there for what they need to be. They need to supplement things. I think every once in a while, athletes could use a fast digesting carbohydrate type drink, which will get into their system very, very quickly. It's easy to digest. It's actually made with a, a compound called fractured maltodextrin. It's very, very easy to digest. But what it does is it gets, gets you carbs into your system. So when you're running and you're sprinting, your anaerobic fuel system, which is run by glycogen, which is blood sugar, will allow you to fuel up. So that's why having a little bit of extra carbs in a liquid form could be really good during a very intense session. Can you, maybe you won't say this, can you please tell kids to stop taking pre-workout before they play the games? Yeah. So, yeah, don't. Thank um, you. It, so, so this is what happens is the pre-workout, it gives them that bump for a little bit. But they're using it as a substitute for poor nutrition, and then they bonk second half, and then they feel like absolute yep. crap. So right. what should happen is they should just learn how to eat healthy and find a meal that's easy to make and that they enjoy and that fulfills the needs that they have from a fueling standpoint. And I'm pretty sure it's not like three Red Bulls and a Starburst, right? So that's the big thing is just it's – you cannot use a, a, a stimulant-based supplement to, to take the place of calories. You just can't. You just can't. And honestly, I think at the end of the day, for most people, if you are going to use a stimulant, and this is for adults too, a cup of coffee is probably the best thing for you. If you my, want last, caffeine. my last question, we have a mutual friend, Jeff Trainer. Yes. Freak athlete. Yes. Wonderful young man. Yes. He comes to you. He wants to train with you. Where do you start? Where are you going to finish? So sort of, I mentioned this earlier, but so you know, when I got introduced to Jeff, it was from one of my son's private coaches, Kevin Tobin. So you guys probably sure. know Kevin. Kevin's a great guy. And I said to Kevin, he ended up linking me up with Jeff. The first thing I did was an evaluation and, and I did an intake with all of his injury history. I looked at everything. I said, I sent him a, an, an, an evaluation. I said, do this. And then I broke him down and got him on the table and looked at everything that sort of he's bringing to the table. And then I created a warm up for him. I created up like soft tissue work. We put together a comprehensive program and we've been working together for about eight weeks now and, and we're having a lot of fun. And it's, it's cool because I, after working with so many high level athletes, specifically in the last decade with like fighters, it's fun to go back to like my roots of field and court athletes. So he's, he's the best. And that he is a freak athlete. I mean, he does stuff and people just watch him, like watch a guy jump and you're like, that's just not normal. He's just, he, he moves so well. Yeah. I, I've played with him for a long time, like indoor and like training stuff in winter. He's incredible. He'll catch anything. He's, it's it's and, awesome. And I, I will t tell he can, you this. He can run forever, too. Yeah. I can tell you something, too. When he comes to the gym, there'll be times there'll be six, eight lacrosse players, and he makes time. Sorry. He makes time to talk to every single kid and learn their name. Yep. And I'm like, that's – I haven't told my son Connor because Connor, my son Connor adores him. I said, that's, that's one of the good ones. You see? He's a class he's, act. He's given every kid, even if it's a minute. Yep. That, I can't tell you how many parents texted me. 
he got to meet Jeff. He got to meet Jeff. And yeah. like, and Jeff didn't have to do that, but he's just a good dude. He's such yeah. a great guy. And yeah, we're having a lot of fun. He's That's a great, great guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, we got to wrap it up. Thank, thank you so much for coming. We could yeah, have another hour. Yeah. We'll have you back. We'll talk. We'll talk more specific stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll get you to train me when I'm ready to go back to sport, and, <laughs> and that'll be great. But uh, tell tell everyone where they can find more information about. about yeah. So I do a lot of social media on my on Instagram on at Coach Mike Perry. That's where I put a lot of my content out for lacrosse. The name of my gym is, is Skill of Strength, and it. Use me as a resource. I've been doing this for a long time. If you guys need something, reach out. I would love to help. I would love to get involved. If it helps people, let's do it. Great. Thanks very much. Great job. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. And thanks again for listening to New England Cross Journals, Chasing the Gold Podcast. Jack Piatelli. I'm Kyle Devitt. See you next time.